0: You're listening to the Vineyard Church's UK and Ireland podcast. The following talk was taken from our youth festival, Dreaming the Impossible, over the summer. Tickets for DTI 2023 are now available to buy, and you can either pay for the full ticket price up front or pay it in six instalments, helping to spread out the cost.
1: Just head to dreamingtheimpossible.org to find out more.
2: Okay, well, we are in for an absolute treat this morning, because I am joined by Ellie Mumford, and um, and by Paulo, and um, you're gonna you're gonna get to know these guys. But these guys, they are absolute heroes. They are good friends of mine, but they're also heroes in the faith. And it's gonna be and just know it's gonna be such an inspiring morning. And um, we tried to get the Queen to come and visit, um, like this week, but she was kind of hooked up doing other things. And so we got our next best, which is Ellie. Uh, Many people, in fact, somebody saw you on site and they thought you were the queen. Just tell us that story
0: real quick. We arrived on site yesterday and we were driving very slowly with flashers, trying to keep the rules. And this little guy came running up the car and he said, I think it's the queen. And I hope he was joking. Especially
2: as there's quite a big age gap. But yeah, anyway, absolutely brilliant. So tell us, Ellie, before we talk to you, Paul, just tell us really
0: briefly a little bit about yourself. Um, I am married to John. We've been married for, oh, we've been in love for 50 years, which is a real cool thing. Better than ever, I have to tell you. Um, We started a vineyard in this country probably 30 years, nearly ago, more now. And then that grew and grew. And we now oversee, where well, we help to oversee, facilitate vineyard churches all around the world, of which there are, I think, about a hundred nations in which vineyard churches are meeting. So we have a—it's an amazing thing. And then on a personal level, we have two grown boys who are amazing, and we have four growing grandchildren who are a challenge.
2: A challenge. And many of you, because most of you, 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 you've never even met Ali before, you're like, I don't, who is this lady? And um, actually, when DTI started back in 1999, I mean, that was before, I was going to say before I was born, but it's not. Um, before these guys were born, definitely, you guys at some point must have said yes to DTI starting. And so, yeah. perhaps if you said no, we might not be gathered here today. I'm just very glad we didn't say
0: no. Very glad. Because this is quite wonderful i have so loved these last day or two i mean the minute we drove in i could just feel the grace of god on this place and it is really very fun but looking out at you all now it's terrifying but it's lovely and i have I think to say, i think they like you already you? it's okay i don't want to <laughs> it's all good okay so this is this is ellie
2: victim number one and then victim number two this guy paul okay he is like my brother from another mother and um, Paul and I, Paul, and St- Paul is married to Steph, he'll probably t- in fact, I'll just tell you that, but we're, we're, we're like Bezos, aren't we? Why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, Suze is definitely part of our family, um, so it's a joy to be here. I am Paul, as she says, I'm married to Steph. Uh, we lead Manchester Vineyard, obviously, in Manchester. There's a few people here from there. Uh, I've got two, two daughters, we've got a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, and two guinea pigs who are also female, so they're... I'm significantly outnumbered. Can I, I just
2: say that when I go to visit these guys' house, their children, who I love dearly, my, two of my godchildren, they terrorise me with those guinea pigs because I'm scared. Is anybody scared of guinea pigs? Susie is. Oh my days! They just—I just—I cannot handle it.
1: I'm also a Leicester City fan, so lifelong, and I love that. And that's, there you That's the Tottenham fans booing because you've got no trophies. But anyway, move on. <laughs> hey, done, yeah. That's <laughs> good. Banter. So good.
2: Have we got any Liverpool fans in the house? Come on, guys! Oh, oh, it's getting okay. Let's let's move on, shall well, we? I was
1: just thinking, I because I know Suze quite well. If we could just tell a quick couple of stories about Sue, shall just we? Yeah. make
2: sure you know. Once you've told it, once it's out there, it's out there. So you know. So Sue's,
1: you. you I mean, she's obviously a very humble person, but she's also a self-nominated expert at driving, uh, particularly reversing. So uh, she often says, "I'm so good at reversing." And um, one day, the car needed moving, so she moved our car and reversed it straight into another car, didn't no,
2: you? I mean, Yeah, I, I was driving their car, and I, and I don't know what came over me, but I reversed one of their cars into your other car that's
1: right yeah and um it was
2: caught on cctv and it was quite quite the situation also
1: we went away a load of us um and stayed in this huge house and Suze, because she's an extrovert got to stay up late and be the person nominated to turn the lights off at night and um so me and my mate there was this little room we hid in this little cupboard thing and has come round and you could hear her outside the door saying to her friend, I oh, wonder if there's any lights in there, let's just turn the lights off. So anyway, she opens the door and we were obviously in the dark, and we just went Whoa, like this. You literally, you know like on a cartoon where somebody jumps in the air and they run, run in the air like a hamster? That was, that was Suze. And then the other thing, I've just got to tell them really quickly. Our daughters, whenever Suze comes, they love doing eating challenges. So it's become quite a thing now. Everyone has a blindfold and you have to buy really odd foods and you've got to, like, blindfolded guess what it is. And um, so they line up like these 25 things. I've got to tell you of all the foods, you don't want to combine mayonnaise and coffee granules are absolutely... It's disgusting. It, it's revolting. Isn't it? Well,
2: part of the game that you, you missed out, most important... If you want to play it when you go home, it's really fun. It's called taste testing. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> what you do? You hold your nose... So you're blindfolded and then you hold your nose because when you hold your nose, you can't smell anything. And so it's in your mouth and you're like, and he, but you don't necessarily know what it is. So sometimes that could be a positive experience because it's like Nutella or something. But other times, Paul, you've been so mean to me. Anyway, even though I saved his life when he was choking on a sausage, genuinely. Oh, that's need to know when, when you're around, with, we will get on in the set, but when you're around <laughs> Paul, he... Um, <laughs> He's quite a dramatic kind of character. So we were having lunch, he's eating a sausage, and he starts going like this.
1: <laughs> like this. No, I was on my last breath.
2: It's like, as as and I was an like, effort, if I'm you're like... choking, do you need me to back slap your back? And he was like... <laughs> and I thought, he's joking. But anyway, he wasn't joking. And on the fifth slap, I, went, I honestly went as hard as I could, and the sausage flew all across the office. And yeah. um,
1: Chew your sausages, don't eat them whole.
2: There we it's go. Best, there it. we go. Okay, so lots will <laughs> lots lots will come out as as we go um, but really quickly like you're sat here in front of a few thousand teenagers tell us like ellie what were you like as a
0: teenager oh my gosh i can hardly remember that far back i was trying to think i was a mixture of terribly insecure and unsure and a little bit chubby But at the same time, wildly excited and enthusiastic about everything that I ever did. And a lot of that hasn't changed. I hope the security is great and I hope the chubbiness is less. But I still was and am excited about living, quite honestly. It sounds so funny, but I really, really believe it. I think this is an amazing thing to be, is alive and part of the kingdom. So I, and as a teenager, I was a bit of a, I liked everybody to like me. I wanted to please everybody. I wanted to be good at everything. I worked very hard, eager beaver. I was an older sister and very bossy. You probably wouldn't have wanted to be with me, but I, I got where I had to go. I was just glad, actually, to be quite honest, I was quite glad to get to 20. Were you a bit, ever, ever a bit naughty or not so much? Um, well, I have I've obviously screened out the naughtiness. I just see myself as a model. No, I was. <laughs> Just a goodie. Actually, there's something almost worse about being goody-goody than being naughty. And I have boys, and I think I, they combine, frankly. One is always doing the right thing, one is a bit, if, you know, on the edge. So, it's, I, I was naughty. I'm sure I was. Mm-hmm.
2: Paul, I wish we'd known each other as teenagers. Oh, you do. We would have nothing, had a lot of fun. Had nothing had a like, like this level. Yeah, yeah. But what, I'm thinking you probably were a little bit different. What were you like as a teenager? Uh,
1: I loved football. I loved, and I still do now, barbecuing pretty much anything. We used to barbecue even fish fingers. Um, we used to play some of you must have played this like cricket with ice, so you just freeze huge blocks of ice and then you just smack it all day. That was just absolutely brilliant. I love it Wow, I know so it's it's these guys
2: up. have the internet, but you just had ice
1: yeah wow. we used to always say we 'd always be up for anything at any point, so we used to have this rule you 'd got to carry your passport because like two in the morning in Leicester, should we go sightseeing in london off we 'd go and there's no traffic. You wow. just see
2: all the yeah. And how do barbecue fish fingers get on? Because that's, that's it's
1: not a good idea when because they're frozen, they just drop mm. through. It's not mm. a good
2: idea. I do love a fish finger sandwich. Who's with me on that?
1: Oh, oh yes, fish finger wrap. Yes,
2: oh with a bit of mayo and a bit of um, what's that other stuff? Oh, Ketchup, Coffee granules. <laughs> <ooh>. Anyway, lovely <laughs> the feedback. Lovely. So Paul, we're going to get like a little bit, a little bit deeper yeah. here. Like I know for you, like your teen, like knowing you obviously really well, knowing that your teenage years, um. They weren't. They weren't easy. They were pretty challenging for many, 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 many. In fact, in this room, like yeah. in this space, the teenage years have been really challenging. Like, tell us what it was like for you growing up, and kind of like, what was it that got you through?
1: Yeah. So I, uh, my parents uh, split up when I was two. Uh, that obviously, at the age of two, had very little impact on me at that stage. But it was as I started to grow up, I started to understand the reality of what was happening. Uh, My dad, uh, I know we've told the story a few times this week of the prodigal son. My dad was like an extreme version of that. He was very violent, um, an alcoholic, involved in uh, gangs. It wasn't a pretty or pleasant environment to be around whenever. He was around. Um, I, my, some of my like memories would be when I was 13. Like for my birthday, I just wanted a new bedroom door because he'd punched holes through it, and I just wanted to move on from that stage. We were quite hard up. Like we um, probably lived in what they'd call now food poverty, but we'd used to go to this special supermarket that just gave you tins of um, food without the labels on, and whatever you opened, you ate. So. You know, dog food, sweet corn, interesting combinations. But it was, it was hard. And I, uh, I think I played out the pain of that, particularly in the school environment. Um, I was slightly troublesome. I think one of the challenges was I was brought up in a church environment, but my faith was built around um, the understanding that God would bring my dad back to live with us. And so everything fell apart when I hit the age of 14. And I realized I don't want him to come back and live with us. This is not a guy that I'd want in our home. And so I'd kind of built my faith on a deal rather than a savior. And it it fell apart at that point quite significantly. Um, And I went for a number of years of like almost a a wilderness moment. I probably would say I I felt there was there was no point living. I was I was in a pretty dark place. I left home at 16, 17 with just whatever I could carry. amazingly, a dear friend of mine, I was really into football, he said to me, why don't you come and play football up in Manchester? There was this event going on and we could play. Didn't fully realise at the time it was part of a conference like this. And uh, so in the morning and the evenings we'd worship Jesus. And I, I never forget, I, just one, one evening I was worshipping Jesus. And for me, as a 17, 18 year old lad, singing is not really the thing you want to do. So I didn't want to do it. But when I realised, actually, this isn't singing, this is worship, I found myself very loud one evening. I was on my knees. It was almost deafening, just crying and crying and crying and um, surrendered uh, and my Paul, life to just Jesus.
2: Just there where you're talking about like crying in worship, like, like that's been happening like, as we've been gathering yeah. here. And, and what is it? Like, like what's, what's happening when, 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 yeah. when that happens?
1: So I, we often use a little phrase in our church, like, you've got to let the snot drop. And I think so often. That is good. You've got to let the it? snot so, drop. So often, though, we rush in with humanness, and we try. We see people crying. It's like, oh, I'm going to give you a hug, or I'm going to give you tissues. It's like, actually, we need to break before the Lord, realize our weakness and our dependence of Him. And in that moment, I surrendered. My life to Jesus the remarkable thing was Steph had exactly the same experience on the same night the next day we met each other five years later we got married so the Lord has done I I tell you some of those stories not because I want you to feel sorry for me because I don't feel sorry for myself but to say I used to live there over time I started to just visit there now I don't even go there because of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit and how he's changed my life and I think for some of you where you feel no hope you're at the end Honestly, the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives, I, I believe, your, your greatest days are ahead.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the, you were in a lot of pain. Yeah. Like, you were really in a lot of pain and really at a low point where you talked about just then saying, thinking even about ending your life. And as you came to know Jesus, like, was it like a boom, like suddenly everything changed? Or was it, did the freedom come like, over time?
1: Yeah, that the, there was a significant moment of dedicating my life to Jesus, which was an instant transformation moment. Equally, I'm, I'm still on a journey now of, of working through things, dealing with things. I'd say I don't live in the place of pain like I used to, but I definitely, there's still, I still find Christmas really hard. You know, it's a, it's a family time. And actually, my family is deeply, deeply broken. And they're hard environments to to walk into, but actually I, I, I live out an anchored hope because my hope is in something beyond myself. And I think the precious thing of worship is it takes our eyes off us and it puts it onto Him. And we start to live differently because we start to live with His hope embedded in us.
2: Yeah, and that's what's been going on this week as we've been yeah. worshiping together. Yeah. Ellie, your story's a little bit different, isn't it? Your story of coming to faith. Tell us just briefly what, how you ended up meeting Jesus.
0: Uh, I went up to university in St. Andrews in Scotland. Oh, good. Which is where John and I actually met, as did our future king and his wife, I need to say. So St. Andrews is the centre of our, well, it was the centre of our universe at that point. I went to St. Andrews and I shared a room with a girl who had come to faith. Now, I had gone to church every Sunday that I can remember from a child, but I didn't have the sort of faith that this girl had. And she was very attractive and she was lovely and she was sweet and she did everything that Jesus would want. But she made me cringe, frankly. Honestly, she was too good to be true. And she would fall on her knees at night to pray. So, of course, I did, just to look good. And in the morning, she'd get out a Bible and read it. So, I got out a Bible and read mine. I mean, I just copied anything she did because I wanted her to think I was the same. However, it turned out that this girl, had, on her way up to university, she had prayed a prayer because she was very keen, what we call keen. And she prayed that Jesus would give her a roommate that she could pray for every single day until that girl came to faith and came to know Jesus and came to serve him for the rest of her life. She was very keen. And then, of course, she got to St. Andrew's and she saw me. And we loved each other dearly. I mean, we're great friends. But she went back to the Lord after a week or two and she said, this girl is impossible. She thinks she knows everything, she's a know-it-all, she's a show-off. I really do you mind if we just were to renegotiate? There must be somebody else. And the Lord said, you promised and you hold on to it. And so God bless that girl. She's called Debbie. And she prayed for me every single day for five years. And the hardest prayer. was Oh, that's she prayed,
2: like five times 365. It was.
0: A lot. It was something over 17 whatever. I don't know, but it's lots of noughts on the end. She did a lot of praying. She was incredible. And I am deeply, deeply thankful to her. And of course, I then went to one of these house parties. It wasn't actually camping, but it was a sort of house party in a school. And that's where I, like this, we had talks in the morning and the evening. We worshipped and then the rest of the time we played. And it was great fun, and I loved it. And there were great, it was all women, mind you. I wasn't terribly impressed because it was all women and all Christians. And when she took me there, I thought, what is there to enjoy here, frankly? <laughs> Honestly, would you have done that? Honestly. However, oh yes, she did say to me, now look, Ellie, I'm going, I'm going to this camp, and you know, you know, I've asked you before, I know you've said no, and I know you don't find the idea very attractive because it is all women, it is all Christians. However, we have a real problem this year, Ellie, because we don't have a cook. We have 150 girls coming, we have nobody to cook, the woman has gone sick, and there's no one I know who would be competent enough to do that. And I fell hook, line, and sinker. I thought, 150 Christian women, they can't even boil an egg for crying out loud. I'll show them, I'll show them. So I went and I showed them and we had top-level cuisine for 10 days, and I sat at the back, listened to the talks, and became a believer. On the spot, I became a Christian. It was wonderful. So it was something just like this. Now, I don't know how good you are at cooking, but you can always come and ask me. But frankly, it was like this. It was in the context of having really good fun with wonderful people around, but it was deadly serious when it came to Jesus. And suddenly, I realized I've been to church every Sunday for the last 24 years, and I've never met Jesus, and I've never understood the cross. But I remember praying that night, day, and I said, God, I don't know where I've been for the last 24 years, but I, want to, I know where I want to be from now on. And it was glorious. Wouldn't, not for a moment would I have changed that decision. It was so transformational. It's so good. Great. Yeah. What's
2: um what's your best you know, if if you were you know doing an Ellie Mumford recipe book, like what's your best dish? Oh, I'm a terribly good at roast potatoes.
0: Ooh. Do you use so, flour? Sorry? Do you use flour on the roast potatoes? No, semolina. Sorry? Semolina. Oh. Semolina. Shake them. parboil oil. Part oil. Drain. Dry. And then shake semolina around them. And then into hot fat.
2: Absolute showstoppers. Lovely. Well, I'm looking look forward to my passing. invite. Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Okay, so Ellie, that was that, in, that, that moment when you came to know Jesus was how many years ago was it? It was 50 years ago last August. Okay, and so you've been following Jesus for like 50 years. And, um, you know, we've been saying all week, like when we, Jesus said, like, in this world you, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And, and you were telling me on, the, we had a FaceTime the other week. We did, you, we You were telling me about... A situation that happened in, in, in yeah. your family with your sister last yes, year yes and how hard that had been just talk through like that that time and how you've how your relationship with
0: jesus has helped you through the, through that yeah. through that hard time this time last year it was actually on the 11th of august i celebrated my 50 years as a believer and i woke up and beside my bed my beloved john had put a bottle of champagne god bless him and some pearl earrings God bless him again, and a very lovely painting by Vermeer of the girl with the pearl earring. And inside he wrote a little letter to me about what it had meant for 50 years to have lived having discovered the pearl of great price. So it was a fantastic morning. And at lunchtime I got a call from a hospital in Dundee to tell me that my sister was dying. And she was dying of advanced alcoholic liver disease. She was a helpless alcoholic and we didn't realize it until quite recently. She never told me, she would never talk about it. She named somebody else's next of kin because she knew she was dying. She left her house to somebody else in the village, and the whole thing was dreadful. And then I got this phone call because she didn't want me to know, but they managed to persuade her to let the hospital call me, and they did. This was the day of my great celebration. And so, during the late afternoon, they found a moment of lucidity. And they said, we could arrange a a video call with your sister if you'd like that. I said, of course I would. So there she was, lying in a hospital bed in a little tent, like an oxygen tent. Um, And she was obviously at the very end of her life. And it was terrible to see. And the first thing she said to me was, I am sorry for my deceit. She deceived me since she was 16, it turned out. And I had never really realized the second life that she had lived. And then she said to me, thank you for your kindness, which was deeply significant to me because for years we've tried. We tried to be kind. We tried to give. We tried to understand. We tried to be patient. It was all rebuffed. I took her to that camp where I got saved thinking this will be the answer for her. She was the only person in the history of that camp who left. Wouldn't stand it. And then once when I offered to pray for her, and I did pray for her, because I love praying for anything that moves, and I prayed for her, and she said, don't you ever, ever do that to me again. So I mean, we're talking really seriously. And then the last thing she said was, may I ask you to do one thing for me? And I said, of course. We were 500 miles away, we couldn't even get there. She said, will you ask Jesus to take me quickly? And she'd never named the name of Jesus to me before but I knew that she had got saved on the beach when we were children at a mission. I knew she knew Jesus, but she would never talk about it. And I said, Libby, of course we'll ask Jesus. So we said our goodbyes, we rang off, and we prayed together that Jesus would take her quickly, and she was gone in two hours. That never happens. And why I was telling Susie about it, and it's so profound for me, is that had I not known Jesus, 50 years ago that day and celebrated that reality that morning, I would never have sustained the shock and the pain and the grief of that afternoon. There is nowhere else to go, people. There's no other answer to grief and pain and anguish and reversal and addiction and everything else that she stood for, there's nothing else. And there was a point in the, in the New Testament when the disciples were really up against it and they were, Jesus said to them, are you going to leave me? And I don't know if you remember there's a verse I think it's Luke 6 or somewhere and it's set somewhere in the Bible it says Jesus said to them they said to Jesus Lord where shall we go you have the words of eternal life and that's been my experience for 50 years through thick and thin good days bad days where else would we go what else can we do either Jesus died and rose again or he didn't and if he didn't we're all wasting our time people you might as well go out and do anything you like. But if he did, then we have everything to live for, everything to die for, and it's all gain. So, that's what I discovered. Is that what you wanted? Yeah.
2: What an answer. What an answer, guys. And, um yeah, there's many moments I think for me, even like during, you know, during the last few years, it's been hard, been hard for all of us. Where I found myself thinking like, where will I go? Where else can I go? You do? There's nowhere else. No, other into way. the arms of the Father, you know. Mm. Um, okay, so we're here at DTI having you know, sensational experience, loving it, loving life, being together. We're worshiping, uh, praying. It's a real sense of God's presence. Paul, these guys are going to be going home. Um, some very late tonight. Some t- some tomorrow. Ha- how do you sustain faith? Like, is is the stuff of like we've seen God moving power? Like, is that just for the, like is this room like got some kind of magic powers in it or something? Or, or how, how do we do it at home?
1: I I love these moments, the like mountaintop experiences, but it is lived out in the valley, isn't it? It's lived out in the places and spaces where we where we go back. And I, I would say I used to come to places like this and I'd just cry and I'd cry and I'd cry and I'd cry. And I'd use any and every opportunity to be healed, to be freed, to to be encouraged, to be spurred on. But then when we go back, I think we give everything we've got to Christ, his church, and his cause. Get around people that are gonna encourage you, spur you on, like-minded people, people who are alive in their faith. Say yes to to the church, say yes to whatever they're doing to serve the the people that they're around. Is it's is Hebrews, isn't it? Is it Hebrews 10 that says, let us find ways to spur each other on towards good works and it's like we've got to we've got to have people around us that are going to stand with us and encourage us and um, cheer us on and and if we sometimes I think our culture teaches us to do it alone and we become quite selfish or self-obsessed or self-reliant it's like actually we've got to do this in community we've got to do this alongside others we've got to do this with others that that will walk it out with us and I think we get a daily moment by moment choice and decision to make to see the kingdom of god extend to see his reign and rule extended in us in each and every decision we'd make so i would encourage anybody to think about it's almost every moment of your life like it's not even i'll see you next year or I'll see you on sunday it's like i want to make decisions daily that are going to cause me to be closer to jesus
2: yeah i love that and i love being in your house and you know your bible's open worship we love a little worship don't we, do, we? yeah yeah I love it. we've got a favorite song it goes, uh, with a blessing and honor oh you oh, yeah. get it on youtube later not now there's oh. a song called blessing and honor and it is the, it is it's i mean i don't know it's when it's, a, it's from it's an old
1: classic is it from
2: the 1970s or yeah, something probably. we love a dance to that yeah. but um get but it's important isn't it to, to worship at home to to be praying at home to be expectant for the stuff of the spirit and to not give up on church and I think sometimes it can be tempting to go away from this kind of place and be like, "Well, my church doesn't look like D.T.I." It was like, "Well, obviously it doesn't. There's 3,000 of us here in this room. Like, no, most churches aren't, don't look like that. Certainly, our, our church, you know, is, isn't 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 like the same experience." So, what would you say about church, Paul? Helping? How, how do these guys best engage with
1: church? And if somebody said to us, I say, "What? What you know? When you leave an environment like this, what do you go and do?" And they said, "Just say yes." And honestly, I don't think it's more complicated than that. Just say yes to the local church get involved, find ways that you can serve and serve and serve and serve, do the job that nobody else will do, do it faithfully and do it with everything within you. And you'll be shaped and changed in the process of doing it, because I think ultimately Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay, we want to move on. Okay, yeah. We're going to move on just to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit, because... Um, we're not going to go into a full deep-dive history lesson because we, we, we don't have the time to do that. Um, but there was a time, Ellie, wasn't there, many years ago now, where you saw an extraordinary outpouring of the Spirit of God. And like, just tell us, tell us like, how you've seen like the Holy Spirit transform your life but the lives of those around you.
0: Well, trying to say it quickly, basically, I... Believed in God the Father, believed in Jesus as the Son, always had a problem with the Holy Spirit, thought it was a bit weird, quite frankly. I thought it was very odd. And I used to take my Bible and snip out the little bits that had funny bits in metaphorically speaking with my nail scissors, metaphorically speaking. But things like, you know, healing sounded very odd and prophecy sounded wacky and speaking in tongues sounded insane. So I just cut all that out of did my did Bible. Did you,
2: yeah, you, you literally, when you say you cut it out, you actually physically No, I didn't out.
0: physically. I speak artistically. I speak okay, metaphorically. Okay, right.
2: Okay, so there was no...
0: I mean, get involved. with me, Susan. Right, well, I've I'm got just... that wrong
2: for the last 20 years. Okay. No. So you metaphorically, like in your mind... I metaphorically
0: you cut out. Right. disregarded large parts of Scripture got that it. didn't... Align with me, which is a very big mistake. So it turned out that my New Testament was metaphorically very filleted, very thin, very ineffective. And then, my goodness, you'll have to stop me if this isn't what you want, but basically, we went to John and I got married, we went to work in the parish down in the West Country, it was absolutely lovely. We'd been engaged for four years, so I mean, it was a real big moment getting married, it was lovely. And then when we did, very shortly after. I was the young bride. We were leading the youth work. We had a youth group of wild boys who used to come to our house on their motorbikes, throw their bikes on our lawn, stack their helmets up our staircase, grind their cigarettes out on my new carpet, oh yes, and eat everything we put in front of them. Hoovered it up. That was my first introduction to Christian ministry, all right? And I thought, wow, this is messy. However, in the middle of it all, I got meningitis, which was even more messy, and I was very ill. I was in my early 30s, it's no joke at any time. But we were working, John and I, in a parish surrounded by people who believed in the Holy Spirit. That was the disadvantage of them. They were sweet, but they were terribly charismatic, and it was very tiresome. So anyway, I couldn't get better. I was very ill, and the next day, John had to preach in the village church, And he had to preach on a verse from the New Testament where Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and said, this sickness is not unto death. And we suddenly thought, wow, this Bible thing is more on the money than we thought. So that was good. And it was clearly true. I mean, I lived to tell the tale. However, I was very ill and I couldn't get better. Cracking headaches, exhaustion. Couldn't be, you know, the young bride showing off and roasting potatoes and doing all that stuff. So went to the country to get better or to what they call convalesce. Six weeks later, I came back to church in the evening, and the vicar, godly man, he said, oh, my dear Eleanor, you're not at all well, are you? Thank you, I thought. If that's the gift of discernment they all talk about, I could have told you that, mate. However, they then said, why don't you come tomorrow morning to the staff meeting and we'd love to pray for you? And I thought, oh, no. Monday morning, charismatic, all smiley and friendly. I know what they'll do. I've seen enough around the place. They'll sit me down in the middle of the room they'll come into my personal space they'll lay their sweaty hands upon me and they'll pray for me in tongues i know they will just for anyone that doesn't know what tongues is real quick speaking in tongues it's interesting isn't it it's a it's a language that god gives and i told you i thought it was weird i now think it's extraordinary it's given by god to you personally for you to be able to talk with him in a way just you and he understand It's really sweet and very precious. And if you hear people around you doing that, join in. Join in, it's a great blessing that the Lord gives us. And it sort of intensifies or makes particularly pleasurable our relationship with him. I mean, just this morning worshiping, I couldn't think of any more words to sing. It was so amazing, people. That worship was just so beautiful. And I ran out of words. Even the words on the screen, they didn't say what my heart was trying to say. So I just sang in tongues. And that's when it's a real wonderful thing. Anyway. Back to, back to the bed. Diversion. Yep. Back to being ill. So it sat me down in the middle of the room, everything I thought. So I thought to myself, there you are. You see, I am prophetic already, and I didn't even know it. I knew you'd do that, I knew you'd smile, I knew you'd invade my personal space, lay your nasty hands on me, and that you would pray in tongues. And I'm hating it, it all sounds to me as if you've got all these people knitting at the same time, clack, 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 clack. However, the awkward thing, isn't that what it sounds like? The awkward thing was that I was instantaneously healed of severe meningitis and have never had a meningeal headache since that moment. And that was 40-something years ago. Brilliant. I know. So then, then I thought, right, if this is what I think it is, I'm an early adopter and I'm an enthusiast, remember? So I was thought, right, this is what we want to do for the rest of our lives. If it is at our hands, the Lord will use us to pray for one another, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to preach the gospel at our hands, people. He could do it all without us but he chooses to do it with us and involve us in ministry and caring for each other, whether it's in a setting like this, or whether it's at the bus stop, whether it's on the train, whether it's Tesco's, this is stuffism, it's electric people, it's dynamic stuff. And I suddenly thought, well, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life.
2: And that's what you've done, isn't it? I do. That's what you've done. Paul, you love it, don't you? So we, we at DTR, I mentioned the phrase the other day, we'd say like one of our values, like one of the things we're like really passionate about is being naturally supernatural, doing the stuff that you're talking about that the bible talks about but like not being like weird about it you you live this stuff out paul as you do ellie but paul just tell us like some stories like recent stories for you where you've seen god do some amazing things yeah
1: i honestly wish someone told me when i was the age of these guys about the holy spirit i was brought up in a church where that just wasn't a reality and it's we get to do this He's, he He's changed me, You wouldn't even recognise me. But um, there's there's this guy, a little while ago, I was like streaming the grass out the front of our house. It's quite long and nettle, so I've got uh, my ear defenders on and he's looking at me like he knows me. Well,
2: this was, I was there, wasn't I? Yeah, you were there, I was sunbathing, yeah,
1: whilst you were, yeah. The kids were like trying to get the guinea pigs to play anyway. But I was, um, I'm streaming the grass and he's looking at me like I, I know him. And I'm like, well, I don't know you, but we've made eye contact, so I take my headphones off. And anyway, we end up chatting for half an hour and he tells me, about his relationship with his dad and it is deeply deeply broken and he also tells me he's got a a back pain that he's had significantly for many years and he struggles to walk anyway he says to me oh your eyes lit up when you when i told you about my back pain what's that about and i said well i got to be honest i believe in jesus and i believe he can heal you so i said can i pray for you and he said well how's how's that going to work so i said well i'll just Maybe lay a hand on you and we'll just pray and ask Jesus to heal you. So he he went, all like this. And he just spins around, leans against. He's the other side of the railing. So he leans against the railing and I've got my hand through it. He sticks his hands out, eyes shut. I don't know how he knew to assume the the position, but he did. And um, I I, I didn't even ask the Lord to heal his back. I just said, Jesus, please heal this guy's relationship with his dad. And straight away, he just starts going like this with both thumbs. And I said, mate, what's going on with your thumbs? He said, it's gone. It's gone. Pain is gone. I'm completely, and then he's doing all sorts of squats and dancing about. He's like a slightly older guy, and I was just instantly healed. And then I, I want to tell you one that's unexplainable, because sometimes we think we understand this, but we really don't. I had a dream about a lady in our church who's had sciatica for a long time. It's basically pain that just shoots down her legs. And uh, anyway, I had a dream that a number of us gathered around her and prayed and commanded that she be healed, and she was healed. So I text her and said, I've just had a dream. I know we've prayed a few times, but I think we should gather again. Anyway, on reading the text, she was healed and had no pain saints. But wow. well, explain that. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Whoa. The Lord is so good. Wow. We've got to raise our expectation and step into the place of faith. And I know sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it's delayed, yeah. but surely we should pray more. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's been, I always say absolutely quite a lot. I'm trying not to, anyway. Um, it's been brilliant to see some of you guys this week when, we, when we've been, you've been praying for healing and seeing it, it, it happen. It's, we've got to, we've got, as you say, we don't always see God, God healing sometimes now, sometimes we don't, but we've got to keep going for it, haven't we? Because when you see, there's nothing like seeing God move in someone's life and seeing like a, a changed life because of it. So have you guys got, are you ready for a couple more questions? Yeah, the energy's good. Great, love that. Just taking a bit of a litmus test there. So you both are risk takers. Let's just talk about risk for a few moments. Like Ellie, you and John, like without going into all of the story, have actually en- ended up planting a church that's planted churches that planted churches, and you're now involved like on a on on a global level. Paul, you and you and Steph have taken many risks involving like um, you know moving away to Manchester and many things and planting a church and many kingdom risks like within that, like. My prayer, our prayer as DTI for this generation, is that they would be kingdom risk takers. And that might not look like, like planting a church. It might look like business or um, entrepreneur. Or, you know, it could, it could look, well, that's the same thing. You know, it could look like any, any kind of thing. How, how, how do these guys risk take for the kingdom? Paul, I'm coming to you.
1: I, I think we have to become comfortable with the uncomfortable So we have to continually create environments for the Spirit of God to move. So if I could do it, that's just me. If I can't do it, it's gonna be him. So it's that in-between place. So if I don't do it, it's not going to be him. Once I've seen him do it, I can celebrate what he's done, but I've got to step into the in-between, between between those two points, which is the the place of risk, which is the place of faith. So I'd say continually create environments where you can't do it, only God can. And it's that's the, you put your natural into his supernatural, you're going to see him do it. And I think we regularly, so I want to know my neighbours, I want to know all of their names, I want to know their birthdays, I want to know what makes them tick, because I want to be involved in their lives so that any and every opportunity I get I'm going to create a moment to step into so I'll give you one quick example the the guys in our church the kids team gave all of the kids five pounds to go and spend somewhere on the city and love someone our daughter bought our postman a box of chocolates so we gave him the box of chocolates that moment created a relationship that we then just couldn't, I almost posted myself parcels just so he had to come <laughs> to my door. So we got to spend more time with him. Then we go to the football and, but then you get to share the gospel. You get to share Jesus through creating relationship. But I've I gotta be honest, every time my heart's in my mouth, you know, I'm like, is the Lord gonna do it? If not, I'm gonna fall flat on my face, but that's okay. I, I, it's not about success, it's about courage. And it's about continually creating those environments where it's like, Lord, this is this is on you, but I want to see you move, and I have seen you move, and I do believe you can move again.
2: Yeah, it's so good what you just said there, because it's it's important to celebrate the failures as much yeah. as the successes. So, guys, if you go out and you go, you go back home, and I know it's the holidays, but you're, you're back at school, back at college, whatever, and you invite a mate to church, you pray for a mate, you tell a mate about Jesus, and whatever happens, like whatever the outcome but that's a celebration because you've taken a risk and you've gone for it. And it's celebrating, like, um, we had a staff meeting the other week where, um, i try and remember, sorry, but where somebody went out and they were in a park and they, and they, had, they, they had, like, a sense of something. So they, and it was about, like, these two people. And they went over and they uh, like, oh, I was just wondering, like, if it, it was something to do. like, are you guys thinking of getting married? And, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily suggest doing that one. But, um, but they were just like, uh, no. And the whole thing was, like, super awkward. But it, the taking the risk is, is the thing to celebrate. It's going for it. Uh, yeah anything look like you want to say something else you don't oh i can do no 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 if you don't want to okay last question you're sat in front of thousands of amazing teenagers like jesus had a handful of disciples and through them literally the world got flipped upside down here we are today because of you know because of the church and um these guys like could change the world they could change the world like what would you say what like what, what do you want to say to them Final, this is the final question, so
0: you can go big as you like. <laughs> Looking at you, how many are in this room, Susie? 10,000? Not quite. I'd <laughs> i love to exaggerate.
2: I, I love exaggerating. Think, I think it's around about 3,000. Let's say 3,000. I'm a bit shy of that. Let's say 3, In this
0: room are represented 3,000 circles of influence. 3,000 different families, different homes, different neighbourhoods, different schools, different anything you like to... Saturday jobs, I don't care what. They're all different. And what you don't realize is that the people you are around want what you've got far more than you will ever know. I remember once when we were first married, a woman came up, we were doing the youth work, and we had this girl who was an inveterate shoplifter, and we were in court with her. I mean, she was a, it was a real old business. And her mum came limping up our, lane, our drive once, our path, and she just said, I, I want what you've got. I want what you've got. We forget what we've got, it's so precious, it's so attractive, it's so important. But the thing I would say is, don't underestimate what you've got. You carry something more than you realize. So I want to pray for you to have confidence to believe what you carry. You have so much authority, because Jesus said, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to pray for recovery of sight for the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, to cast out the demons. He said, he's anointed me, and then he got his disciples, and he said, now you go and do it. And then he got them all together on the Mount of Olives before he ascended, and he said, all authority is given to me, therefore you go. Go. And we, 2,000 years later people, in this funny room, we are the direct inheritors, the direct descendants of those disciples on the Mount of Olives. And the authority that he gave to them has been passed on down through thousands of years and millions of Christians, and we are now the carriers of that authority. So you can go into your circles and you can do what Jesus would like you to do. And amongst it, I would say two little things. I would say, be yourself, Don't try and be Susie. Don't try and be Paul, me. Don't be anybody other than you. Oscar Wilde once said, be yourself. Everyone else is taken, okay? So be yourself. And the second thing I would say is, have fun doing it, okay? Fun is huge, people. It's huge. And I think you've got that. I think you've got that. A man once wrote a book, and he said, when I was at university, he's old and dead now, actually, he's in glory, but he said, I discovered a laughing, joking Jesus who p- held people spellbound by his company. I decided that we would be enchanted by this happy, glorious man whose mere company filled his followers with delight. I follow a happy, glorious Jesus, and his company fills me with delight. And it bubbles over, and I cannot help it, and I will not apologize for it, and I will not go back on it, because we've got something, people, that 3,000 circles of your friends need more than they know. You can carry it, you can take it away with you, you can be yourself, and you can have that much fun in the doing of it. That's what I would say. What about
1: you, Paul? I'm not sure I can really add to that, but I would say, um sometimes i think we just go halfway jesus didn't just call us out of something he called us into something and we've got to realize that i so wish somebody had told me at a younger age what the holy spirit wanted to do in us and through us don't don't just leave your stuff and be called out of your stuff and lay down stuff and sacrifice stuff now go and do stuff in the power and the authority that he puts on you and i I would also say deal with your stuff before it deals with you because honestly, hurt people hurt people, but freed people free people. And you are called to be free. I would say, years ago, I used to come to stuff like this, broken. Then I used to bring young people to it, and I was less broken, and I brought them and they were broken. Now we get the joy of bringing our church with us here, and it's phenomenal. The Lord wants to free us and change us, but to do something with it. Don't just stop halfway, go and, go and live it out and live it out in power. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thank you, Paul.